All right. Good morning to you. It has already been so incredible to be in the house of the Lord. I'm thankful for our worship team this morning and very grateful for the song that Donnie just sang. I got it, Donnie. I really did. In fact, it's amazing how God kind of works. You know, if I was going to pick a song, a message and a song that really sews it all together, not just for our series today, our message today, but our series coming up for the next five weeks, it would be something like exactly that. God, be glorified. You know, let me glorify your name. You know, today we start our series, um, Our Country, Our Calling, and it's, it's, about, it's about our responsibility in today's culture and for our country. I really appreciate Laverne. Uh, wonderful job on putting the stage up and out in the foyer. I appreciate that so much. And I really, I really want you to know way ahead of time that this is probably not what you're expecting for a series. Um, God really spoke to my heart about the importance of the fact that if something's going to happen in America, it is going to have to be to the people of God. And it's going to have to be the people of God being obedient to God. It's going to have to be the people of God being obedient to God. You know, America has wonderful roots. Um, there's no doubt about that. We, you know, again, none of the men and women that we would count as the founding fathers and mothers or daughters of this country were perfect. Um, in fact, there's a quote that I have, and I didn't ask Dave to put it on the screen. I'll just read it to you. But it's from a guy named Benjamin Franklin. And I know enough about Benjamin Franklin's life to know that he had some real carnality about him. But he also, again, as so many of the founding fathers, they also had this, this deep spirituality somehow. But here's what, here's what um, Benjamin Franklin said. Gentlemen, he's addressing the Congress. He said, gentlemen, I have lived a long time and am convinced that God governs in the affairs of men. If a sparrow cannot fall to the ground without his notice, is it probable that an empire can rise Without his aid, I move that prayer imploring the assistance of heaven be held every morning before we proceed in business. How wise. It came from a guy named Benjamin Franklin. We may throw a quote out there every week. I don't know. But we have such wonderful roots, but something's gone awry. Um, we have this cool rose tree, I guess you'd call it, in our backyard. And um, we bought it. She got it on sale, of course. And, you know, it's kind of like half dead. And as Jesus so often does, she just puts her magic on it, and it just came back to life. I mean, it's really a beautiful little tree now. But the other day, I was out in the yard, and we noticed that there was a um, limb coming up from the base of the root, and it kind of snuck up on the back side. And before long, I mean before long at all, it was at least 18 inches taller than the rose tree itself. And Judy and I both knew instantly what it was. You know what it was? It was called a sucker. It was a sucker. It's when, when a, uh, they take the root and they do a hybrid rose, and, and when a portion of that reverts back to the old nature, it sends up suckers. Now you'll know it's a sucker because even though it's very healthy, it's kind of like a weed, it's very healthy and usually has very large thorns, it never bears a rose. It never bears a flower. And yet it's there. It's there. And I'm sure many people who doesn't, do not know this would go, oh, look how healthy my rose bush is. Little they know 
that it's not even part of the rose bush. Well, that's kind of like America. America has some wonderful, wonderful roots. But we have slowly through the years, as we've chosen to drift away from God, um, something else has come up. It looks like a rose bush, but it never bears any flowers. So today in the next five weeks, we will look at what is our responsibility as Christian Christ followers, Christians, what is our responsibility with our country? Now, you're looking at a pastor who believes in citizenship and, and the word Christian going together. I believe in Christian citizenship. I believe we have obligations as Christians um, and as citizens of our country. I think the gospel in that way is sewn together um, in that we have an obligation in, to be Christian citizens. I think Rome. You know, Paul preaches that throughout the New Testament. Um, Romans, uh, Romans, for example, uh, strongly suggests our responsibility. I didn't suggest, it commands our, our responsibilities um, as Christians. So over the next five weeks, today we're going to look at the power of the gospel. And you're probably not surprised at that because, the, you know, if Jesus Christ is the answer, and he is, then we need to understand fresh and anew what all that means. And, uh, wow. God just really gave me something. Again, as Donnie's singing, I'm going, Father, thank you for giving me that during the week because it ties in exactly with what Donnie... If you could somehow remember some of the words that he sang, that would be really, um, really good. And then next week on, on our Red, White, and Blue Day... And by the way, this is my outfit for the next five weeks. I've got about five different uh, ties that I'll be wearing, um, but this is my outfit for the week. But next week, we're asking all our church family to wear Red, White, and Blue on our Red, White, and Blue Day. And so we hope that you'll do that, and we'll be having a part of our service um, dedicated to that um, next week. So the sermon next week is the call or the power of repentance. And we're going to talk about um, national repentance. And then the third week, we're going to talk about prayer and how we should be praying for our leaders. I so appreciate, our, Mike, I heard what you said. Pray for our president. We should pray for the leaders of our country, commanded by the word of God. Not suggested, commanded by the word of God. In the fourth week, we're going to be talking about the power of godliness, about right godly living and the power of that as we uh, influence our culture. And lastly, God just gave this to me about like five, six, eight days ago. You know, it's going to end after four weeks. And then this last one really got into my heart, and it's the power of you. The power of you. And we're going to be looking at Isaiah chapter 6 and how Isaiah identified with his power, you know, when he said, here I am, send me. So I'm looking forward to the next next uh, five weeks as we talk about what is our responsibilities in the country that we live in. Now, now for my disclaimer or disclosure. That is this, you know, as I developed this message, um, hopefully with the help of the Holy Spirit, with God, um, I realized it was kind of bohemian. Um, it was kind of eclectic. Um, as, I, as I read through it today, this morning even studying it, I want you to understand, I know it doesn't follow that real clear path, as uh, hopefully some of my messages do, that this is going to be going in different ways, but it's intentional. Don't think, I just like, you know, threw this together. So if bohemian kind of means it's a mixture, odd mixture of colors and, and decor, eclectic means a different assortment of things. So just keep in mind, as we go through the message today, beginning with the intro, okay, don't think... What? Like I did with Donnie's song. What does that have to do with the candle? You know, you might say, well, what does this have to do with our country? I don't think so. I think you're going to get it. So today we want to look at the power of the gospel. And we begin with that very unusual introduction. It's something we've used here several times 
on World Hunger Day, and it's entitled Starving in the Land of Plenty. I want to take time to read it to you today. It was written several years ago, but it is a true story and uh, very poignant. It says this, I have had no income, and I paid no rent for many months. My landlord let me stay. He felt sorry for me because I had no money. The Friday before Christmas, he gave me $10. For days, I had nothing but water. I know I needed food. I tried to go out, but I was too weak to walk to the store. I felt as if I were dying. I saw the mailman and told him I thought I was starving to death. He brought me food, and then he made some phone calls, and that's when they began delivering those meals, those lunches. But I had already lost so much weight that five meals a week were not enough to keep me going. I just pray to God I can survive. I keep praying I can have the will to save some of my food so I can divide it up and make it last. It's hard to save because I'm so hungry that I won't eat it right away. On Friday, I held over two peas from the lunch. I ate one pea on Saturday morning... Then I got into bed with a taste of food in my mouth, and I waited as long as I could. Later on in the day, I ate the other pea. Today, I saved the container that the mashed potatoes were in, and tonight before bed, I'll lick the side of the container. When there are bones, I keep them. I know this is going to be hard for you to believe, and I am almost ashamed to tell you, but these days... I boil the bones until they are soft, and then I eat them. Today, there were no bones. Starving in the land of plenty. You know, it's strange. We've been to West Africa back in the early days when we went to Niger and Mali, and we saw the extended bellies of the children. The drought would come. There was no clean water to drink, and there was no food. And we understood hunger there. But then we read about this. And we know in our community there are people who will go to bed hungry tonight. They are literally starving in the land of plenty. That is a grievous thing. But here's my tie-in. People are starving spiritually in the land of plenty. How many churches are in Harrisburg? 10, 15? In Saline County? We had a guest stay in our Airbnb. And he said, he goes, we're there from Chicago or up near Indianapolis area, somewhere in there, Gary, Indiana. They said, we just couldn't believe how many churches there are. Where we come from, there are virtually none. And around your town, there's a church on every corner. And yet there are people who are starving for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in this land of Plenty, And hence today, I want to share with you the importance of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the hope for America does not rest in a particular political party. It does not rest in a particular personality. The hope for America rests in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Keep in mind... 
The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And America does not need a renovation. It does not need a makeover. America needs a resurrection from the one who can give new life, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. So our scripture today um, rests in John chapter 8. If you want to take your Bibles, you can get there. In John chapter 8, starting in verse number 28 and going down for about eight verses there. Now, John chapter 8, and keep in mind, by the way, please keep in mind, that is our outline. We're going to go here and we're going to go over here intentionally, but we're always going back to John chapter 8. John chapter 8 is a pretty amazing chapter in the Bible. It starts out with that amazing story of grace where, where the Pharisees, the religious leaders, go and drag a woman literally out of bed. She's committing adultery. They go into her home and drag her out of her bed and throw her down in the city square in front of Jesus. You know this story. It's, a, it's an incredible story. And they said to Jesus, so the Bible says, Moses says, the law of Moses says that we should stone this woman to death. What do you say? And Jesus bends down and starts riding in the dirt and just waits. And so finally, he stands up and says, okay, you without sin cast the first stone. And one by one, the Bible says, the people leave. They leave. They leave. And finally, no one is left but her and Jesus. And Jesus stands up and says, Woman, where are your accusers? And she says, There is none, Lord. And the one who could condemn her chooses not to and says, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Isn't that a wonderful story of grace? It really is. And that's the start of the chapter. But if you read the whole chapter through, what you see is almost instantly the Pharisees begin attacking Jesus. And this is a this is a yin yang a pull and yang pull and yang conversation that gets pretty intense between Jesus and interestingly enough the religious leaders and they go back and forth and back and forth and and we're going to jump in at verse twenty eight but amazingly to show you how intense it gets between Jesus and the religious leaders you know in verse number in verse number forty eight they call him. I'm not sure there's a racial slur strong enough uh, to, to equate it to today's society. They call him a Samaritan devil. And I cannot tell you how big of an insult that is. And that's the intensity of this battle that's going on. In fact, in verse number 59, it gets so intense, the Bible says they want to stone him. And he slips through their hands. So that's the setup for John chapter 8. And in that, Jesus gives us some incredible truths about who he is and our responsibility. And I hope you'll stay with me through this message. So in verse number 28, Jesus tells us, actually the first part of verse 28, Jesus tells us two important things. Here's what he says. So Jesus said to them, speaking to the religious leaders, now know what he says. When you... He's speaking to the very ones who are going to crucify him. When you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I 
am he. Speaking and looking at the very ones who will lead the charge in his death, he says, when you see me on the cross, you're going to understand. Now, I find this very interesting because, you know, we stumbled. We now have, are you ready, Wednesday night prayer meetings. We've had several things, but we actually meet and pray on Wednesday nights. And, and one of my friends introduced, reintroduced a verse to me from Acts chapter 4 that we read on Wednesday night. And I want to read it to you again because it teaches that important principle. Here's what Acts chapter 4, verse 27 and 28 says. There, remember, this is a prayer being prayed by the church you know, after the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 4, here's what the prayer says. In fact, this, the crucifixion, has happened here in this very city. Now listen, for Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel, all the people that Jesus came to die for were stacked against him. The government, the Jews, and the Gentiles were all stacked against him. All right? That happened. They're all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But here's the part I want you to get. But everything. Someone say, but everything. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. We, if we'd have been there at the cross that day, we'd have said, this is terrible. This is horrible. Someone stop this. And God would interrupt and say, no, no, no. This was predetermined by my hand. I want you to understand something. We serve a sovereign God. We serve a God who is in control. So before you throw up your hands in panic and say, oh no, everything in culture is firing out of control, you remember that your God is strong enough and big enough and is in control of even the circumstances we look at today. So don't panic. God is in control. I'll say this now because I may forget later. In my opinion, in the culture we live in, in America, America is either poised for a great revival or a great judgment. A great revival or a great judgment. You probably agree, identify and agree with that, but here's the part you may not. And largely, it's in our hands. It's our hands. If America is going to avoid the judgment of God, God's people have got to be about God's business. And we have got to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, this culture. We've got, just like the song that Donnie sang, we have got to live in a way that brings glory to God. Not so few things matter, the song said. So few things that we invest our time, our energy, and our money in just don't matter. And so much, the future of our, of our children's America, the, the future of our grandchildren's America sits in our hands today. Will we stand by and let America continue to walk away from God and therefore invite judgment? Or will we believe the truth of 2 Corinthians 5.17? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. All things have become numb. Believe that truth. Share that truth. Preach the gospel and see our community and our state and our country changed by the power of the gospel. That is the choice. But he said something else there that really makes that more significant. After he said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, he says, then you, looking at that crowd, then you will understand that I am He. 
I am he. Now, if we were to read that in the English language, now, of course, probably in your Bible, there's something happening. You'll see I am is capitalized, all the letters. But, but if we just hear that, you say, I am who? I am who? But if you know your Bible just a little bit, you know those are very significant words. You know, I told you at the end of chapter 8, they were going to stone Jesus. And here's why they were going to stone him. In John 8, 58, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, before Abraham was even born, I am. And trust me, the Jews knew exactly what he was saying. He was saying, I am God. I am God. I am 100% man, yes, but I am 100% God. I am God in the flesh. And that so angered them, they were ready to stone him. But that's what makes Jesus Christ the hope for America. That Jesus was and Jesus is God. And he lives today to make a difference. And you say, where'd that come from, Dwayne? Well, we got to step back 4,000. This is that bohemian part. Okay, we got to step back 4,000 years. Wait, wait, Dwayne. New Testament. No, we got to step back four because I want you to see the power of I am. Okay? So, so God is posed to, poised to deliver Israel from Egypt. They've been slaves there for 400 years. And God chooses a guy named Moses. Okay? So Moses says to God, okay, if I go to the Israelites to deliver them and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What shall I tell them? And I love when God is simplistic. Okay? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. And this is what you are to say to those lights. I am has sent me to you. And oh, the Jews knew when Jesus said, I am, they were saying, I am God. And it so angered them. But because Jesus was God, he's the hope. Because if Jesus had just been a good teacher, a lot of good teachers died on the cross. If Jesus had been just a good man, a lot of good men died on Roman crosses. But he was more. He was the God-man. And I went through and I chose three scriptures that really help us understand the power of who Jesus Christ is. All of them have one common denominator, and that is the cross. And in John 12, 32 and 33, we see I am as the great inviter. The great inviter. Here's what Jesus said in John 12, 32 and 33. And when, not if, when I am lifted up from the earth, speaking of the cross, when I am lifted up from the earth... I will draw everyone to myself. Oh, my goodness. You understand the power of that? That meant that one day, if you are a Christ follower, that means one day Jesus drew you to himself. And you were forgiven of your sins. And around your neighborhood, there are people, and some of them are like so lost. They're meaner than a backyard snake. And you say, boy, there's no hope for them. Yes, there is because of the power of the cross. Jesus said, when I am lifted up, I will draw everyone, black men, white men. Listen, I love the song by Mandisa that says, we all bleed the same. God does not see skin color. He knows that there are people that he died for. There are people who speak English and who do not speak English around this world. There's a world of lost people, and Jesus Christ died for all of them. When I am lifted up, I will draw everyone to myself. He said this to indicate how he was going to die on a cross for the souls 
of men, women, and children. And then the I am is the great rescuer. The great rescuer. This one's found and also in John. John 3, 14 and 15 after he spoke to Nicodemus. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness. Pause. What? <laughs> as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness. Huh? Well, we've got to go back 4,000 years ago. The children of Israel had been freed from Egypt and they had sinned. They rebelled against God. And God in judgment, in judgment, sent fiery serpents into the camp. And if you got bit by a snake, you were out of here. You were dead. But God in His mercy. Somebody say amen. God is mercy and God is grace. Okay, Moses. Build me a bronze snake. Put it on a pole. That's not really significant. Because there was no power in the snake. There's no power in the pole. But God said this. Whoever obeys me and looks at the serpent on the pole will be healed. Whoever believes will be healed. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up. Whoever would believe that what God said about the snake... And then in our culture, whoever believes what God said about the cross can be healed and forgiven. Because Jesus says, so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Somebody say amen. I'm so glad there's not a giant scale. I'm so glad you don't have to attend church a certain number of times. I'm so glad you don't have to give a certain amount of money. That we will believe what Jesus Christ did on this cross by shedding his blood for our sins. If we'll put our faith and trust in him, willing to turn from our sin and follow him, we can have forgiveness of our sins. We can have eternal life. And that's the hope of America. God, listen, God can change the heart of your neighbor. But God can change the heart of our governor. And God can change the heart of presidents and members of Congress, and members of the Supreme Court. Don't you throw your hands up in despair thinking it's all over, baby, because the power of the gospel changes the lives of people. And let me tell you something. God never concerned himself with the odds because God plus one is a majority. God plus one is a majority. Don't you dare give up because God is still in control. And then perhaps the, my faith, no, it is my favorite, the great I am, the great restorer. But this one's found in Mark chapter 15. We see Jesus on the cross. And here's what happens. Jumping into the middle of the crucifixion, the Bible says, And Jesus let out a loud cry. Anybody know what he said? It is finished. It's done. It's paid for. The payment for sin was death. Someone had to die for the sins of mankind. And Jesus willfully went to the cross to do exactly that. So he cries out, it is finished, and then in verse number 37, and breathed his last. I love this because the crucifixion didn't kill Jesus. He yielded his life. He gave his life up. So he cries out, it is finished, and then willfully dies, okay? Then, watch this. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two, from top to bottom. Now, again, just give me a little bohemian moment because you need to know this in case you've forgotten. There's a place called the Holy and the Holy of Holies. And this is the residence of God. This is where God showed up. 
And there was a curtain there that some say was, was six inches thick and 15, 20 feet tall. And it separated the holy from the holy of holies. And it separated man from God. It symbolically separated. It was a symbol of, of the separation from sin and God. What happened in the garden caused that curtain to be there. But when Jesus cried out, it's finished. Look what it says. Then the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. No one, no one could, but no one grabbed it from the bottom and tried to tear it open. God himself opened the way from the people to himself. How? By the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Since the Garden of Eden, man had been separated from God. There could be no relationship. And then God comes along after his son cries out, it is finished, and yields his life on the cross. The curtain is torn open, and God says, come on in by believing in my son, Jesus Christ. That's incredible. That's just incredible. Has nothing to do with the church. Has nothing to do with religion. Has everything to do with faith in Jesus Christ. And no matter how big your sin list, no matter how big the sin list of America, God's grace is sufficient for him and for us. Amen and amen. But then, watch, 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 watch. A little bit further. Verse 39. When the centurion... Now, a centurion was a Roman guard in charge of at least, at least 100 soldiers. This particular centurion was in charge of the crucifixion. It was his job to make sure those three men, at the end of the day, were dead. It was his professional calling. He would probably tell you he had nothing against Jesus or the two other guys. It was just his job. He would get up in the morning, have a cup of coffee, and say, Honey, I'll see you at the end of the day. I'm going to work. And his job was to kill people. And so he's seen a lot of good men die. He saw some men die well and some men die Poorly. But look what it says. Then the centurion who was standing opposite him, who was standing looking at him, saw the way he breathed his last. What caught his attention was the way he died. And he, when he died, remember what he said? It is finished. And he yielded his life. And when the centurion saw that, saw the way he died, he said... Truly this man was the Son of God. Now, let me tell you something. Jesus lived his life in a way that caused people to say, surely he was the Son of God. My question is, will we live our lives in such a way that people say that he believes in the Son of God? Will we live in such a way that people notice we are different? That we look like Jesus? We talk like Jesus. We live like Jesus. And that leads us right back into John chapter 8, the second part of verse 28 and verse 29. And this, again, I think this is so powerful for our message today. And again, it lines up so much with Donnie's song. God made my life bring glory to you. Okay? Now, in verse number 28 and 29... Jesus, again, is still in the midst of this hostile crowd. People are looking at him all over, and they are mad, okay? And here's what Jesus says, and here's what he teaches us, okay? First off, notice his example in John 8, 28, the, the second part of verse 28. He goes this, I do nothing 
on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. Do you see the power of that? I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father has taught me. Let me ask you a question. What, what difference would it make in our lives if that became our mantra? What would it be like that if we, like the Savior said, I do nothing on my own? Aren't we tempted in culture to do things on our own? Aren't we tempted to get angry on Facebook or, or Instagram or on Twitter and say something incredibly stupid? What if we let the example of Jesus be what we follow and could say, I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father has taught me? I think there's power in that. In fact, in 2 Corinthians 5.20, we learn something. Here's what Paul wrote to the Corinthian church in uh, 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Now, an ambassador speaks for America. What do you call an ambassador who speaks his own? Unemployed. Unemployed. A bastard who goes off like a wild cowboy, speaking on not, not what the government, what we represent, but his own, will be called home and taken off of the field. Paul reminds us and tells us we are ambassadors not for what Dwayne wants, not what the Southern Baptist Convention wants, not what Dorsville Baptist Church wants, not what you want. We are ambassadors for Christ, what Christ wants. And he goes on and says this, since God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Him. Again, the verse. I do nothing on my own, but say only what the Father taught me. We are ambassadors for Christ since God is making His appeal through us. We plead. We plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. My goodness, you want to know why America's where it's at? Because the church is in its service in our worship centers right here doing nothing outside those doors. The church has got to be the church. We've got to get out there and we've got to plead and we've got to appeal for the souls of men. We've got to get the word out there that Christ died for you and he can make a difference, a huge difference in your life. It's huge. What would happen if we followed the example of Jesus? What would be, the, the, what would be possible if we followed the example in John 8, 29, the, the first part? He continues... And the one, Jesus speaking to that angry crowd, and the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me. Except that one blessed time. When, when Jesus became sin on the cross, and for the first and only time, God the Father turned his back because he couldn't look to sin, look at sin on the cross, his son. And he goes, Jesus cries out and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me. That beautiful time when father and son were separated. But Jesus could speak with confidence and say, the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me. And here's the part I want you to get. In the, in the crisis mode we live in sometimes, in what we call life, God will never leave you and he will never forsake you. Amen. I, I love this. Listen, listen, listen to this. I know it's familiar. Psalm 23, 4. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, 
they comfort me. Marsha Billman went into the hospital expecting to come home that night and didn't come home for 26 days. Even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. G. Calvert's been fighting some kind of crazy deal and went up and had surgery and they really thought they had it fixed. She comes home and the very same night goes out to the emergency room. And she's in the hospital this morning. And I spoke with her and I said, Judy, I do not know what's going on in your life. But I want to calmly assure you that God does. I cannot explain what he's doing, but God's got it. And I said this verse, I said, even though you go through the darkest valley, I will fear no danger for you are with me. And I want to assure you parents, I want to assure you grandparents that, listen, even though we walk through dark valleys, we will never walk alone. I don't know where this path is going to go called America. I don't know where the culture is going to go. I don't know if we'll find ourselves living in a country where being a Christian is a crime. I don't know as a pastor if one day a guard will come in and say, you cannot teach that any longer. Stop or jail. I don't know any of that. But I do know this. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no danger. For you are with me. And unlike Jesus, who for our sake the Father forsook him, God will never forsake us. Never forsake us. Remember that. And then the last part of verse 29. We got our third lesson. He, Jesus said, For I always do what pleases Him, Him being the Father. I always do what pleases Him. What difference would it make in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our culture, if our path was to always do what pleases Him? Can I be honest? There are too many times... I do what pleases me. I do what's easy. I do what is conflict avoidance. Whatever I can do to stop from having a conflict, I have a tendency to do that. What if none of that mattered? What if none of that mattered? What if all that mattered was, I do what pleases you? You know, Jesus said in John 14, 15, If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. What a, what a wonderful thought. What a wonderful thought. So let's, let's pause right there. Today, I want you to understand the power of the gospel. That the man who died on the cross was not just a good man. He wasn't just a good teacher. He wasn't just a guy, a victim of a senseless crime when a mob got out of control and had him nailed to a cross. Before the foundation of the world was laid, that date on Calvary was chosen. And he died for the sins of every man, woman, and child. And that includes every person in this room, every person listening on the radio today. He died for the sins. The power of the gospel is that any person who's willing to believe in what Christ did and willing to turn from their sin and follow him, every person can have the gift of eternal life. Do you believe that today? If you're here today and that doesn't apply to you yet, in just a few moments we're going to have a time of invitation. And I want you to know 
that my friend Brent will be standing down front. And we have this time for you to act on the truth that you've heard today. I don't, I don't know what's in your life. I don't know what you've done. You know, we hear stories. I was out of prison last week. I've been in prison five years. Um, you know, I'm so afraid the cops are going to show up at my door. I'm hooked on this drug. I'm hooked on that drug. You know, listen, it does not matter. I'm angry at this. I haven't spoke to my mother in 15 years. I'm just telling you this, that no matter what you've done, his grace is sufficient. When Jesus died and God tore open the curtain, it was meant for you and you and you. And he doesn't invite you to a religious experience. He invites you to a relationship with the creator God of the universe. If you'll step out in just a few moments to Brent and say, Brent, I want what Dwayne talked about today. My life is so messed up. I go to bed at night wondering what will happen if my heart stops. Dwayne, I've, I've thought about suicide. Anything's got to be better than this. Whoa, whoa. There is something better than this. And it's called forgiveness of sins. It's called God's amazing grace. So remember, he said, when you lift me up, you'll understand that I am he. I'm not just a good man. I'm God who's willing to die on a Roman cross. God, and it's good, God set the penalty for sin and then paid the penalty. Did you get that? God set the penalty and then God paid the penalty. And then are you willing today, if you're a Christ follower, are you willing to do as Christ did? Are you willing to do what he, what pleases him? Are you willing to say what pleases him? Are you willing to believe that no matter what, you'll never walk alone? Even though you go through the darkest valley, you'll fear no danger because he is with you. Would you bow your heads please in prayer? Father, in Jesus' name I come to you and I just want to thank you for who you are. I want to thank you, Jesus, that as God, you died on a Roman cross, that we could have forgiveness of sins. Father, I am thankful for you tearing open the curtain and undoing what sin had done, that hanging out the welcome sign for whosoever will, for every man, woman, child who would believe in your son, Jesus Christ, turning from their sin that they could have the gift of eternal life. Thank you for that. Father, stir our hearts to live, to speak, to do as your son did. The hope for our country lies in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. May the church rise up and be the church. May we worship well here, but may we worship well out these doors. So, be with our congregation right now, Father. Lead us to decision. I pray for the man, woman, or child, even the one listening on the radio this morning, who has never put their faith and trust in Jesus. May today be that day. I pray for all of us who have trusted Christ, that we'll make that commitment to follow your example. And Jesus, we pray this in your precious name. Amen and amen.